1: The Apache Mountain War by Robert Howard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Apache Mountain War by Robert Howard Someday, maybe, when I'm old and gray in the whiskers, I'll have sense enough not to stop when I'm riding by Uncle Shadrach Polk's cabin and Aunt Tascosa Polk hollers at me. Take the last time, for instance. I ought to have spurred Cap'n Kidd into a high run when she stuck her head out in the winder and yelled, and Ridge! oh and Ridge! But I reckon Pap's right when he says nature give me so much muscle, she didn't have no room left for brains. Anyway, I reined Cap'n Kidd around, ignoring his playful efforts to bite the muscle out of my left thigh, and I rode up to the stoop and taken off my coonskin cap. I said, well, Aunt Tiscosa, how air you all? You may well ask how are we, she said bitterly. How should a poor weak woman be farin' with a critter like Shadrach for a husband? It's a wonder I got a roof over my head or so much as a barrel of bar meat put up for the winter. The place is goin' to rack and ruin. Look at that there busted axe handle for instance. Is a poor weak female like me got to endure such abuse? You don't mean to tell me Uncle Shadrach's been beatin' you with that axe handle I says scandalized. No says this poor weak female. I busted it over his head a week ago, and he's refused to mend it. It's liquor has been Shadrach's ruin. When he's sober, he's a passable figure of a man, as men go. But swiggin' and blue ruin has brung him to shame and degradation. He looks fat and sassy, I says. Beauty ain't only skin deep, she scowls. Shadrach's like Dead Sea fruit, fair and fat-bellied to look on, but ready to dissolve in dust and whiskey fumes when prodded. Do you know where he is right now?" And she glared at me so accusingly that Cap'n Kidd recoiled and turned pale. "'No,' I says. War. "'He's over the Patchy Mountain Settlement a lapping up liquor,' she snarled just a rootin' and a wallerin' in sin and corn juice, riskin' his immortal soul and blowin' in the money he got offin' his coon hides. I had him locked in the corn crib, aimin' to plead with him and appeal to his better nature. But whilst I was out behind the corral cuttin' me a hickory club to do the appealin' with, he kicked the door loose and scun out. I know where he's headin, to Joel Garfield's still house, which is a abomination in the sight of the Lord and ought to be burnt to the ground and the ashes squinched with the blood of the wicked. But I can't stand here listenin to your gab. I got hominy to make. What you been wastin my time like this for? I got a good mind to tell your pap on you. You light a shuck for a patchy mountain and bring Shadrach home. But I said, don't you give me no arguments, you impertinent scoundrel, she hollered. I should think you'd be glad to help a poor weak female critter stead of wasting your time gambling and fighting in such dens of iniquity as war paint. I want you to fix some way. So's to disgust Shadrach with drink for the rest of his natural life. And if you don't, you'll hear from me, you good for nothing. All right, I yelled, all right. Anything for a little peace. I'll get him and bring him home and make a teetotaler out of him if I have to strangle the old son of a How dast you, use such language in front of me, she hollered. Ain't you got no respect for a lady? I'll be expletive blanked if I know what the expletive deleted world's comin' to. Get out of here and don't show your homely mug around here again unless you got Shadrach off a of rum for good. Well if Uncle Shadrach ever took a swig of rum in his life it was cause they weren't no good red corn whiskey within reach. But I didn't try to argue with Aunt Tescosa. I lit out down the trail, feeling like I'd been tied up to an Apache stake with a whole tribe sticking red-hot Spanish daggers into my hide. Aunt Tiscosa affects a man that way. I heard Captain Kidd heave a sigh of relief, plumb up from his belly too, as we crossed a ridge, and her distant voice was drowned out by the soothing sounds of a couple of bobcats fighting with a timber wolf. I thought what calm and happy lives them simple critters lived without no Aunt I rode on, forgetting my own troubles and feeling sorry for poor Uncle Shadrach. They weren't a mean bone in his carcass. He was just as good-natured and hardy a critter as you'd ever meet, even in the Humboldts. But his main objective in life seemed to be to stow away all the corn juice they is in the world. As I rode along, I racked my brain for a plan to break Uncle Shadrach of this here habit. I like a dram myself, but in moderation. Never more than a gallon or so at a time, unless it's a special occasion. I don't believe in a man making a hog out of his self. and anyway. I was sick and tired runnin' Uncle Shadrach down and fetchin' him home from his sprees. I thought so much about it on my way to Apache Mountain that I got so sleepy I seen I was getting into no state to ride Captain Kidd. He got to lookin' back at me now and then, and I knowed if he seen me dozing in the saddle, he'd try his derndest to break my neck. I was passin' cousin Bill Gordon's barn about that time, so I thought I'd go in and take me a nap up in the hayloft and maybe I'd dream about a way to make a water drinker out of Uncle Shadrach or something. I tied Cap'n Kidd and started into the barn and what should I see but Bill's three youngest boys engaged in daubin' paint on Uncle Jepperd Grimes' favorite jackass, Joshua. What are you all doing to Joshua? I demanded and they jumped back and looked guilty. Joshua was a critter which Uncle Jepperd used for a pack mule when he went prospecting. He got the urge maybe every three or four year and between times Joshua just ate and slept. He was the sleepinest jackass I ever seen. He was snoozing now whilst them young idjits was working on him. I seen what they was at bill had loaned the feller some money which had a store down to war paint and the feller went broke and give bill a lot of stuff out of the store for pay they was a lot of paint amongst it bill packed it home though i don't know what he aimed to do with it because all the houses in the humbolts was log cabins which nobody ever painted or if they did they just whitewashed em. but anyway he had it all stored in his barn and his boys was smearing it on Joshua. He was the derndest sight you ever seen. They painted a big stripe down his spine like a Spanish Mustang, only this stripe was green instead of black, and more stripes curvin over his ribs and down under his belly, red, white, and blue, and they painted his ears green. What you all mean by such doings, I asked, Uncle jeopard will plumb skin you all alive. He sets a lot of store by that there Jack." Aw, it's just funnin', they said. You won't know who done it. You go scrub that paint off, I ordered him. Joshua'll lick it off and get pisoned. It won't hurt him, they assured me. He got in here yesterday and at three cans of paint and a bucket of whitewash. That's what give us the idee. He can eat anything, eatin' Jack you ever seen. He <laughs> he snickered one of them. He looks like a drunkard's dream. Instantly an idea hit me. Gimme that jackass, I exclaimed. He's just what I need to cure Uncle Shadrach Polk a drinkin' liquor. One glimpse of that there Jack in his present state, and Uncle Shadrach'll think he's got the delirious trimmins and get so scared he'll swear off whiskey for life. If you aims to lead Joshua to Joel's still house, they said, you'll be all day gettin' there. You can't hustle, Joshua. I ain't gonna lead him, I said. You all hitch a couple of mules to your paws spring wagon. I'll leave Captain Kidd here till I get back. We'll put him in the corral behind the barn, they says, them poles are set four foot deep in concrete and the fence is braced with railroad iron. So maybe it'll hold him till you get back if you ain't gone too long. When they got the mules hitched, I tied Joshua's legs and laid him in the wagon bed where he went to sleep and I climbed onto the seat and lit out for Apache Mountain. I hadn't gone far when I run over a rock and woke Joshua up and he started braying and kept it up till I stopped and give him a ear of corn to chew on. As I started off, I seen Dick Grimes' youngest gal peeping at me from the brush, and when I called to her, she run off. I hoped she hadn't heard Joshua braying. I knowed she couldn't see him laying down in the wagon bed, but he had a very peculiar bray, and anybody in the Humboldts could recognize him by it. I hoped she didn't know I had Joshua cause she was the derndest tattletale in the Bear Creek country and Uncle Jeopard is such a cross-grained old cuss you can't explain nothing to him. He was born with the notion that the whole world was plotting agin him. It hadn't been much more'n good daylight when I rode past Uncle Shadrack's house and I'd pushed Cap'n Kidd pretty brisk from there. The mules made good time so it warn't noon yet when I come to Apache Mountain. As I approached the settlement, which was a number of cabins strung up and down a brushy run, I swung wide of the wagon road and took to the trails because I didn't want nobody to see me with Joshua. It was kind of tough going because the trails was mostly footpaths and not wide enough for the wagon and I had to stop and pull up saplings every few yards. I was scared the noise would wake up Joshua and he'd start braying again, but that jackass could sleep through a bombardment long as he weren't being jolted personal. I was pretty close to the settlement when I had to get out of the wagon and go ahead and break down some brush so the wheels wouldn't foul, and when I laid hold of it, a couple of figures jumped up on the other side. One was cousin Buckner Kirby's gal, Kit and tothern was young Harry Braxton from the other side of the mountain and no kin to none of us. Oh, says Kit, kinda breathless, what you all doin' out here? I scowled, fixin' Harry with an eye which made him shiver and fuss with his gun belt. Are your intentions, honorable Braxton. I don't know what business it is of yourn, said Kit bitterly. I makes it mine," I assured her. If this young buck can't come sparkin' you in a respectable place an hour, why, I figures your remarks is ignorant and insultin', says Harry, sweatin' profusely, but game. I aims to make this here young lady my wife. If it were not for the toughest prospective father-in-law ever blighted young love's sweet Dream with a number 12 boot in the seat of the pants. To put it in words of one syllable, so's even you can understand, Breckinridge, says Kit. Harry wants to marry me, but Pap is too durned mean and stubborn to let us. He don't like the Braxtons, count a one of em scun him on a hoss swap 30 years ago. Mm. I don't love myself, I grunted. But go on. Well, she says, after Pap had kicked Harry out of the house five or six times and dusted his breeches with birdshot on another occasion, we kind of got the idea he was prejudiced against Harry. So we has to take this here method of seeing each other. Why don't you all run off and get married anyway, I asked. Kit shivered. We wouldn't dare try it. Pap might wake up and catch us and he'd shoot Harry. I'd taken a big chance sneaking out here today. Ma and all the kids are all over visiting a few days with Aunt Washita, but Pap wouldn't let me go for fear I'd meet Harry over there. I snuck out here for a few minutes. Pap thinks I'm gathering greens for dinner, but if I don't hustle back, he'll come looking for me with a hickory gad. Aw shucks, I said, you all gotta use your brains like I do. You leave it to me. I'll get your old man out of the way for the night and give you a chance to skip. How you do that? Kit asked skeptically. Never mind, I told her, not having the slightest idea how I was gonna do it. I'll tend to that. You get your things ready and you, Harry, you come along the road in a buckboard just about moonrise and Kit'll be waiting for you. You all can get hitched over to Warpaint. Buckner won't do nothing after you're hitched. Will you, sure enough?" Says Harry, brightening up. Sure I will, I assured him. The moose now, and get that buckboard. He hustled off, and I said to Kit, get in the wagon and ride to the settlement with me. This time tomorrow you'll be a happy married woman, sure enough. I hope so, she said, sad-like. But I'm bettin' something'll go wrong and Pap will catch us and I'll eat my meals off the mantel board for the next week. Trust me," I assured her as I helped her in the wagon. She didn't seem much surprised when she looked down in the bed and seen Joshua all tied up and painted and snoring his head off. Humble folks expects me to do unusual things. You needn't look like you thought I was crazy, I says irritably. That critter is for Uncle Shadrach Polk. If Uncle Shadrach sees that thing, says she, he'll think he's seein' worse'n snakes. That's what I aim for him to think, I says. Who's he stand with? Us, says she. Hm, I says. That there complicates things a little. Where at does he sleep? Upstairs, she says. Well, I says, he won't interfere with our elopement none you get out of here and go on home and don't let your pap suspect nothing i'd be likely to wouldn't i says she and clumb down and pulled out i'd stopped in a thicket at the edge of the settlement and i could see the roof of cousin buckner's house from where i was i could also hear cousin buckner Ballerin, kit kit where air you i know you ain't in the garden If I have to come huntin' you, I allow I'll all keep your britches on," I heard Kit call. I'm a comin'. I heard Cousin Buckner subside into grumblings and rumblings like a grizzly talkin' to hisself. I figured he was out on the road which run past his house, but I couldn't see him and neither he couldn't see me, nor nobody could, which might happen to be passin' along the road. I unhitched the mules and tied em where they could graze and get water, and I heisted Joshua out of the wagon and taken the ropes off of his legs and tied him to a tree and fed him and the mules with some corn I'd brung from cousin Bill Gordon's. Then I went through the bresh till I come to Joel Garfield's still house, which was maybe half a mile from there up the run. I didn't meet nobody. Joel was by his in the still house for a wonder, but he was making up for lack of trade by his own personal attention to his stock. Ain't Uncle Shadrach Polk nowhere around, I asked, and Joel lowered a jug of white corn long enough to answer me. Naw, he says, he ain't right now. He's likely still sleeping off the souse he was on last night. He didn't leave here till after midnight, says Joel, with another pull at the jug. And he was takin' all sides of the road at once. He'll pull in about the middle of the afternoon and start in to fill in his hide so full he can just barely stagger back to Buckner Kirby's house by midnight or past. I bet he has a fine old time. Navigatin' them stairs Buckner's got into his house. I'd be afeard to tackle em myself, even when I was sober. A pole ladder's all I want to get into a loft with, but Buckner always did have highfalutin' IDs. Lately he's been arguin' with Uncle Shadrach to cut down on his drinkin', specially when he's full hisself. Speakin of Cousin Buckner, I says, has he been around for his regular dram yet? Not yet, says Joel. You'll be in right after dinner, as usual. He wouldn't if he knowed what I knowed, I opined, because I'd thought up a way to get Cousin Buckner out of the way that night. He'd be headin for Wolf Canyon fast as he could spraddle. I'd just met Harry Braxton with a pack mule headin for there. You don't mean somebody's made a strike in Wolf Canyon? Says Joel, pricking up his ears. You never heard nothin' like it. I assured him. Alder Gulch warn't nothin' to this. Hm. Says Joel, absent mindedly pouring hisself a quart-sized tin cupful of corn juice. I'm an Injun if it ain't. I says, and drankin' me a dram and went back to layin' the brush and watch the kirby house. I was well pleased with myself, cause I knowed what a wolf cousin Buckner was after gold. If anything could draw him away from home and his daughter, it'd be news of a big strike. I was willing to bet my six shooters against a prickly pear that as soon as Joel told him the news, he'd light out for Wolf Canyon. More especially as he'd think Harry Braxton was going there too and no chance of him sneaking off with Kit whilst the old man was gone. After a while, I seen Cousin Buckner leave the house and go down the road toward the still house, and pretty soon Uncle Shadrach emerged and headed the same way. Pretty well satisfied with myself, I went back to where I left Cousin Bill's wagon, fried me five or six pounds of venison I'd brung along for provisions and it and drunk at the creek, then laid down and slept for a few hours. It was right at sundown when I woke up. I went on foot through the brush till I came out behind Buckner's cow pen and seen Kit milkin. I asked her if anybody was in the house. Nobody but me, she said, and I'm out here. I ain't seen neither Pap nor Uncle Shadrach since they left right after dinner. Can it be? Your scheme is actually working out? Certainly, I says. Uncle Shadrack'll be swilling at Joel's still house till past midnight, and your pap is undoubtedly on his way toward Wolf Canyon. You get through with your chores and get ready to skip. Don't have no light in your room, though. It's just likely your pap told off one of his relatives to lay in the bresh and watch the house, him being of a suspicious nature. We don't want to have no bloodshed. When I hear Harry's buckboard, I'll come for you. And if you hear any peculiar noises before he gets here, don't think nothing of it. It'll just be me lugging Joshua upstairs. That critter'll brave fit to wake the dead, says she. He won't neither, I said. He'll go to sleep and keep his mouth shut. Uncle Shadrach won't suspect nothing till he lights him a candle to go to bed by. Or if he's too drunk to light a candle and just falls down on the bed in the dark, he'll wake up during the night sometime to git him a drink of water. He's bound to see Joshua sometime between midnight and morning. All I hope is the shock won't prove fatal. You go get ready to skip now. I went back to the wagon and cooked me some more venison, also about a dozen eggs kid had give me along with some corn pone and a gallon of buttermilk. I managed to make a light snack out of them morsels and then as soon as it was good and dark I hitched up the mules and loaded Joshua into the wagon and went slow and easy down the road. I stopped behind the corral and tied the mules. The house was dark and still. I toted Joshua into the house and carried him upstairs. I heard Kit moving around in her room, but they war not nobody else in the house. Cousin Buckner had regular stairs in his house like what they have in big towns like Warpaint and the like. Most folks in the Bear Creek country just has a ladder going up through a trap door, and some said they would be a judgment on onto Buckner account of him indulging in such vain and sinful luxury. But I got to admit that packing a jackass up a flight of stairs was a lot easier than what it would have been to lug him up a ladder. Joshua didn't bray nor kick none. He didn't care what was happening to him so long as he didn't have to do no work personal. I unfastened his legs and tied a rope around his neck and t'other other end to the foot of Uncle Shadrach's bunk, and give him a hat I found on a peg to chew on till he went to sleep, which I knowed he'd do pronto. I then went downstairs and heard Kit fussing around in her room, but it weren't time for Harry, so I went back out behind the corral and sat down and leaned my back again the fence, and I reckon I must have gone to sleep. Just associatin' with Joshua give a man the habit. First thing I knowed I heard a buckboard rumblin' over a bridge up the draw and knowed it was Harry comin' in fear and tremblin' to claim his bride. The moon warn't up yet but they was aglow above the trees on the eastern ridges. I jumped up and ran quick and easy to Kit's winder. I can move light as a cougar in spite of my size and I said "'Kit, are you ready?' "'I'm ready,' she whispered, all of a tremble. "'Don't talk so loud. "'They ain't nothing to be scared of,' I soothed her, but lowered my voice just to humor her. "'Your pap is in Wolf Canyon by this time. "'Ain't nobody in the house but us. "'I've been watching out by the corral.' "'Kit sniffed. "'Weren't that you I heard come into the house while ago?' she asked. You've been dreaming, I said. Come on, that's Harry's buckboard coming up the road. Let me get just a few more things together, she whispered, fumbling around in the dark. That's just like a woman. No matter how much time they has aforehand, they always has something to do at the last minute. I waited by the winder, and Harry drove on past the house a few rods, and tied the hoss, and come back walking light and soft, and plenty pale in the starlight. Go on out the front door and meet him, I told her. No, wait. Because all to once Harry had ducked back out of the road, and he jumped over the fence and come to the winder where I was. He was shaking like a leaf. Somebody's coming up the road afoot, he says. It's Pap, gasped Kit. Her and Harry was sure scared of the old man. They hadn't said a word above a whisper you could never a heard three yards away, and I was kind of suitin' my voice to their'n. Aw, it can't be, I said, he's in Wolf Canyon. That's Uncle Shadrach comin' home to sleep off his drunk, but he's back a lot earlier than what I figured he would be. He ain't important, but we don't want no delay. Here, Kit, give me that bag. Now let me lift you out of the winder. So, now you all skin out. I'm going to climb this here tree where I can see the fun. Now get. They crope out the side gate of the yard, just as Uncle Shadrach come in at the front gate. And he never seen em, because the house was between them. They went so soft and easy, I thought if Cousin Buckner had been in the house, he wouldn't have woke up. They was hustlin' down the road toward the buckboard as Uncle Shadrach was coming up on the porch and going into the hall. I could hear him climbing the stair. I could have seen him if they'd been a light in the house because I could look into a winder in his room and one in the downstairs hall too from the tree where I was settin'. He got into his room about the time the young folks reached their buckboard and I seen a light flare up as he struck a match. They weren't no hall upstairs, the stairs run right up to the door of his room. He stood in the doorway and lit a candle on a shelf by the door. I could see Joshua standing by the bunk with his head down asleep and I reckon the light must have woke him up cause he throwed up his head and give a loud and ringing bray. Uncle Shadrach turned and seen Joshua and he let out a shriek and fell backwards downstairs. The candlelight streamed down into the hall and I got the shock of my life, because as Uncle Shadrach went pitching down them steps yelling bloody murder, they sounded a bull's roar below and out of the room at the foot of the stair came prancing a huge figure waving a shotgun in one hand. And pullin' on his breeches with the othern, it was Cousin Buckner, which I thought was safe in Wolf Canyon. That had been him, which Kit heard come in and go to bed a while before. What's going on here? He roared. What you doin', Shadrack? Get out of my way! Screamed Uncle Shadrack. I just seen the devil in the form of a zebred jackass. Let me out of here. He busted out of the house and jumped the fence and went up the road like a quarter hoss, and Cousin Buckner ran out behind him. The moon was just coming up, and Kit and Harry was just starting down the road. When she seen her old man erupt from the house, Kit screeched like a scared catamount, and Buckner heard her. He whirled and seen the buckboard rattling down the road and he knowed what was happening. He'd give a beller and let bam at him with his shotgun, but it was too long a range. Where's my hoss? he roared and started for the corral. I knowed if he got straddle of that darn long-legged bay gelding of his, he'd ride them poor infants down before they went ten miles. I jumped down out of the tree and yelled, Hey there, Cousin Buckner. Hey, Buck... He whirled and shot the tail off of my coonskin cap before he seen who it was. What you mean, jumping down on me like that? He roared. What you doing up that tree? Where you come from? Never mind that, I said. You want to catch Harry Braxton before he gets away with your gal, don't you? Don't stop to saddle a hoss. I got a light wagon hitched up behind the corral. We can run em down easy in that. Let's go, he roared, and in no time at all we was off, him standing up in the bed and cussing and waving his shotgun. I'll have his sculp, he roared. I'll pickle his heart and feed it to my hound dogs. Can't you go no faster? Them dern mules was a lot faster than I'd thought. I didn't dare hold them back for fear Buckner'd get suspicious. And the first thing I knowed, we was overhauling the buckboard foot by foot. Harry's critters weren't much account, and cousin Bill Gordon's mules was laying their bellies to the ground. I don't know what Kit thought when she looked back and seen us tearing after him, but Harry must have thought I was betraying em. Otherwise, he wouldn't have opened up on me with his six-shooter. But all he done was knock some splinters out of the wagon and nick my shoulder. The old man would have returned the fire with his shotgun, but he was scared he might hit Kit, and both vehicles was bounding and bouncing along too fast and furious for careful aimin'. All to onst, we come to a place where the road forked and Kitten Harry taken the right hand turn. I taken the left. Are you crazy, you plain fool? roared Cousin Buckner. Turn back and take the other road. I can't, I responded. These mules is running away. You're a liar, howled Cousin Buckner. Quit pouring leather onto them mules, you blasted expletive, and turn back. Turn back, cuss you!" With that he started hammering me in the head with the stock of his shotgun. We was thundering along a road which run along the rim of a sloping bluff, and when Buckner's shotgun went off accidentally, the mules really did get scared and started running away just about the time I reached back to take the shotgun away from Cousin Buckner. Being beat in the head with the butt was gettin' awful monotonous, cause he'd been doing nothin' else for the past half mile. I yanked the gun out of his hand, and just then the left hind wheel hit a stump, and the hind end of the wagon went straight up in the air, and the pole splintered. The mules run right out of the harness, and me and the wagon and cousin Buckner went over the bluff and down the slope in a whirling tangle of wheels and legs and heads and profanity. We brung up against a tree at the bottom and I throwed the ruins off of me and riz, swearing fervently when I saw how much money I'd have to pay cousin Bill Gordon for his wagon. But cousin Buckner give me no time for meditation. He'd untangled hisself from a hind wheel and was doing a war dance in the moonlight and frothing at the mouth. You done that on purpose, he raged. You never aimed to catch them wretches. You taken the wrong road on purpose. You turned us over on purpose. Now I'll never catch the scoundrel which run away with my dadder. The poor dumb, trustin' expletive innocent. Be calm, cousin Buckner, I advised. He'll make her a good husband. They're well on to their way to war paint and a happy married life. Best thing you can do is forgive em and give em your blessing. Well, he snarled, you ain't neither my daughter or my son-in-law. Here's my blessing to you. It was a poor return for all the trouble I'd taken for him to push me into a cactus bed and hit me with a rock the size of a watermelon. However, I'd taken into consideration that he was overwrought and not his self, so I ignored his incivility and made no retort whatever outside of splintering a wagon spoke over his head. I then clumbed the bluff, making no reply to his impassioned and profane comments, and looked around for the mules. They hadn't run far. I seen them grazing down the road, and I started after them when I heard horses galloping back up the road toward the settlement, and around a turn in the road come Uncle Jeppard Grimes with his whiskers streaming in the moonlight, and nine or ten of his boys riding hard behind him. "'There he is,' he howled, impulsively discharging his six-shooter at me. "'There's the fiend in human form. There's the kidnapper of helpless jassicks boys do your duty they pulled up around me and started piling off their horses with blood in their eyes and weapons in their hands hold on i says if it's joshua you fools are after he admits the crime howled uncle jeopard is it joshua says you you know darn well it is we've been combing the hills for you ever since my granddaughter brought me the news what you done with him, you scoundrel!" Ah, I said, he's all right. I was just going to... He evades the question, screamed Uncle Jepard. "Git him, boys! I tell you, he's all right, I roared. But they give me no chance to explain. Them Grimeses is all alike, you can't tell em nothin'. You gotta knock it into their fool heads. They descended on me with fence rails and rocks and wagon spokes and loaded quirks and gun stocks in a way which would have tried the patience of a saint. I always try to be as patient with my errand relatives as I can be. I merely taken their weapons away from them and kind of pushed them back away from me. And if they'd look where they fell, Jim and Joe and Erath, wouldn't have fell down off that bluff and broke their arms and legs, and Bill wouldn't have fractured his skull again that tree. I handled em as easy as babies and kept my temper in spite of Uncle Jepperd dancing around on his hoss and yelling, lay into him boys, don't be scared of the big grizzly, he can't hurt us, and shooting at me every time he thought he could shoot without hitting one of his own offspring he did puncture two or three of em and then blamed me for it the old jackass nobody could have acted with more restraint than i did when dick grimes broke the blade of his bowie knife off on my hip bone and the seven fractured ribs i give his brother jacob was a mild retaliation for chawing my ear like he done but it was an ill-advised impulse which prompted esau grimes to stab me in the seat of the britches with a pitchfork. There ain't nothing which sours the milk of human kindness in a man's veins any more than getting pitchforked by a raging relative behind his back. I give a beller which shook the acorns out of the oaks all up and down the run and whirled on Esau so quick it jerked the pitchfork out of his hands and left it stickin' in my hide. I retched back and pulled it out and wrapped the handle around Esau's neck, then I'd taken him by the ankles and started remodeling the landscape with him. I mowed down a sapling thicket with him and leveled a cactus bed with him and swept the road with him and when his brothers tried to rescue him I beat him over the head with him till they was too groggy to do anything but run in circles. Uncle Jeppard came spurring at me, trying to knock me down with his hoss and trample me, and Esau was so limp by this time he were not much good for a club no more, so I whirled him round my head a few times and throwed him at Uncle Jeppard. Him and Uncle Jeppard and the hoss all went down in a heap together, and from the way Uncle Jeppard hollered you'd a thought somebody was trying to injure him. It was plumb disgusting. Five or six of his boys recovered enough to surge onto me then, and I knocked them all down on top of him and Esau and the hoss, and the hoss was trying to get up and kicking around right and left, and his hooves was going bam, bam, bam on human heads, and Uncle Jepperd was hollering so loud I got to thinking maybe he was hurt or something. So I retched down in the heap and got him by the whiskers and pulled him out from under the hoss and four or five of his fool boys. Are you hurt, Uncle Jeppard? I inquired. Expletive deleted, responded Uncle Jeppard, rewarding my solicitude by trying to stab me with his bowie knife. This ingratitude irritated me, and I tossed him from me fretfully, and as he was pulling hisself out of the prickly pear bed where he landed, he suddenly give a louder scream than ever. Something come amblin' up the road and I seen it was that fool jackass Joshua, which had evidently ed his rope and left the house looking for more grub. He looked like a four-legged nightmare in the moonlight, but all Uncle Jepperd noticed was the red paint on him. "'Help! Murder!' howled Uncle Jepperd. "'They've wounded him mortally! He's bleeding to death! Get a tourniquet, quick!' With that they all deserted the fray, them which was able to hobble, and run to grab Joshua to staunch his bleedin. But when he seen all them grimeses comin' for him, Joshua got scared and took out through the bresh. They all pelted after him, and the last thing I heard as they passed out of hearin' was Uncle jeppard wailin', Joshua, stop, darn it, this here's your friends. Pull up, dang ya. We wants to help you, you cussed fool. I turned to see what I could do for the casualties which lay groaning in the road and at the foot of the bluff. But they said unanimous they didn't want no help from a enemy, which they meant me. They one and all promised to pickle my heart and eat it as soon as they was able to get about on crutches. So I abandoned my efforts and headed for the settlement. The fightin' had scared the mules up the road a ways, but I catched em and made a hackamore out of one of my galluses, and rode one and led t'othern to and lit out straight through the bresh for Bear Creek. I'd had a belly full of Apache Mountain, but I swung past Joel's still house to find out How come Cousin Buckner didn't go to Wolf Canyon? When I got there the still house was dark and the door was shut and there was a note on the door. I could read a little by then and I spelt it out. It said, Gone to Wolf Canyon. Joel Garfield. That selfish polecat hadn't told Cousin Buckner nor nobody about the strike he'd got hisself a pack mule and lit out for Wolf Canyon hisself. A hell of a relative he was, maybe doing poor cousin Buckner out of a fortune for all he knowed. A mile from the settlement I met Jack Gordon coming from a dance on t'other side of the mountain and he said he'd seen Uncle Shadrach Polk foggin' down the trail on a mule he was riding bareback without no bridle. So I thought, well, Anyway, my scheme for scaring him out of a taste of liquor worked. Jack said Uncle Shadrach looked like he'd seen a herd of haints. It was about daylight when I stopped at Bill Gordon's ranch to leave him his mules. I paid him for his wagon, and also for the damage Captain Kidd had did to his corral. Bill had to build a new one, and Captain Kidd had also run his prize stallion off of the ranch and chawed the ears off a longhorn bull and busted into the barn and gobbled up about ten dollars worth of oats. When I lit out for Bear Creek again I war not feeling in no benevolent mood but, thinks I, it's worth it if it's made a water swigger out of Uncle Shadrach. It was well along toward noon when I pulled up at the door and called for Aunt Tescosa. Judge my scandalized amazement when I was greeted by a deluge of bilin' water from the winder, and Aunt Tascosa stuck her head out and says, "'You buzzard in the form of a human bein', "'How you got the brass to come buglin' around here? "'If I weren't a lady, I'd tell you just what I thought of you, "'you expletive blanked. Git before I opens up on you with this here shotgun.'" Why, at Tascosa, what you talkin' about, I asked, combing the hot water out of my hair with my fingers. You got the nerve to ask, she sneered. Didn't you promise me you'd cure Shadrach a drinkin' rum? Didn't you, huh? Well, come in here and look at him. He arrived home about daylight on one of buckter Kirby's mules and it about ready to drop and he's been rasslin' ever since with a jug he had hid. I can't get no sense out of him. I went in and Uncle Shadrach was sittin' by the back door and he had hold of that there jug like a drowning man clutchin' a straw stack. I'm surprised at you, Uncle Shadrach, I said. What in the... shit the door, Breckenridge, he says. They is more devils onto the earth than is dreamed of in our philosophy. I've had a nearer escape, Breckinridge. I let myself be beguiled by the arguments of Buckner Kirby, a son of Belial which is without understanding. He's been wrestling with me to give up liquor. Well, yesterday I got so tired of his arguments, I said I'd try it a while. Just to have some peace, I never taken a drink all day yesterday, and Breckenridge, I give you my word, when I started to go to bed last night, I seen a red, white, and blue jackass with green ears standin' at the foot of my bunk, just as plain as I sees you now. It were the water that done it, Breckenridge. He says, curling his fist lovingly around the handle of the jug, "Water's a snare and a delusion. I drunk water all day yesterday, and look what it done to me. I don't never want to see no water no more again." Well, I says, losing all patience, "You're a goin' to, by golly, if I can heave you from here to that hoss trough in the back yard." I'd done it, and that's how come the rumor got started that I'd tried to drown Uncle Shadrach Polk in a hoss trough because he refused to swear off liquor. Et Tuscosa was responsible for that there slander, which was a poor way to repay me for all I did for her, but people ain't got no gratitude. End of the Apache Mountain War Pilgrims to the Pecus by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pilgrims to the Pecos by Robert Howard. That their wagon rolled up the trail and stopped in front of our cabin one morning just after sun up. We all come out to see who it was, because strangers ain't common on Bear Creek, and not very often welcome, neither. They was a long, hungry-looking old coot driving, and four or five growed boys sticking their heads out. "'Good morning, folks,' said the old coot, taking off his hat. "'My name is Joshua Richardson. I'm heading a wagon train of immigrants which is looking for a place to settle.' The rest of em's camped three miles back down the trail. Everybody we met in these here Humboldt mountains told us we'd have to see Mr. Roarin' Bill Elkins about settlin' hereabouts. Be you him? I'm Bill Elkins, says Pap suspiciously. "'Well, Mr. Elkins,' says Old Man Richardson, wagging his chin-whiskers, "'we'd admire it powerful if you folks would let us people settle somewheres about.' "'Hmm,' says Pap, pulling his beard, Where are you all from?' "'Kansas,' says Old Man Richardson. "'Wachita,' says Pap, "'get my shotgun!' "'Don't you do no such thing, Watchy? says Ma. "'Don't be stubborn, William!' The war's been over for years." And "'That's what I say,' hastily spoke up Old Man Richardson. "'Let bygones be bygones,' I says." "'What,' says Pap ominously, "'is your honest opinion of General Sterling Price?' "'One of nature's noblemen,' declares Old Man Richardson earnestly. "Hm," says Pap, "'you seem to have considerable tact and hoss sense. Or a red leg, but they ain't no more room on Bear Creek for no more settlers, even if they was Democrats. They's nine or ten families now within a wretch of a hundred square miles, and I don't believe in overcrowding a country. But we're plumb tuckered out, wailed old man Richardson, and nowhere's to go. We have been drived from pillar to post by settlers which got here ahead of us and grabbed all the best land. They claims it whether they got any legal rights or not. Legal rights be damned, snorted Pap. Shotgun rights is what goes in this country, but I know just the place for you. It's ten or fifteen days travel from here in Arizona. It's called Bowie Knife Canyon and it's jest right for farmin people which i judge you all to be we be says old man richardson but how we going to git there my son Breckinridge will be plumb delighted to guide you there says pap won't you brackenridge no i won't i said why the tarnation have i got to be picked on to ride herd on a passel of tenderfooted mavericks he'll get you there safe says pap ignoring my remarks he dotes on lending folks a helping hand don't you breckenridge seeing the futility of argument i merely snarled and went to saddle cap'n kid i noticed old man richardson and his boys looking at me in a very peculiar manner all the time and when i come out on cap'n kidd him snortin and buckin and kickin the rails out of the corral like he always does they turn kind of pale and old man richardson said i wouldn't want to impose on your son mr elkins after all we wasn't intendin to go to that there canyon in the first place I'm guidin you to bowie knife canyon i roared maybe you warn't goin there before i saddled my hoss but you air now come on i then cut loose onto the mules feet with my forty fives to kind of put some ginger in the critters and they brayed and sawed off down the trail just hitting the high places with old man richardson hanging onto the lines and bouncing all over the seat and his sons rolling in the wagon bed we come into the camp full tilt and some of the men grab their guns and the women hollered and jerked up their kids and one feller was so excited he fell into a big pot of beans which was simmering over a fire and squalled out that the injuns was trying to burn him alive old man richardson had his feet braced agin the front gate pullin back on the lines as hard as he could and yellin bloody murder but the mules had the bits betwixt their teeth so i rode to their heads and grabbed em by the bridles and throwed em back onto their haunches and old man richardson ought to have knew that the stop would be sudden twar'n't my fault he done a dive off the seat and hit on the wagon tongue on his head and it were not my fault neither that one of the mules kicked him and t'othern bit him before i could untangle him from amongst them mules is mean critters howsoever you take em everybody hollered amazing and he riz up and mopped the blood off of his face and waved his arms and hollered calm down everybody this ain't nothing to git excited about this gentleman is mister breckenridge elkins which has kindly agreed to guide us to a land of milk and honey down in Arizona." they received the news without enthusiasm they was about fifty of them mostly women chilern, and half grown uns. they warn't more'n a dozen fit fightin men in the train they all looked like they'd been on the trail a long time and they was all some kin to old man richardson sons and daughters grandchildren nieces nephews their husbands and wives and such like. They was one real pretty gal, the old man's youngest daughter Betty, who weren't yet married. They just at breakfast and was hitched up when we arove, so we pulled out without no more delay. I rode along of old man Richardson's wagon, which went ahead with the others strung out behind, and he says to me, if this here Bowie Knife Canyon is such a remarkable place, why ain't it already been settled? Aww they was a settlement there i said but the apaches killed some and mexican bandits killed some and about three years ago the survivors got to fighting amongst theirselves and just kind of killed each other off he yanked his beard nervously and said i don't know i don't know maybe we'd ought to hunt a more peaceful spot than that there sounds like you won't find no peaceful spots west of the pecos i assured him say no more about it i've made up our minds that bowie knife canyon is the place for y'all and we're going there well, i wouldn't think of arguin the point. he assured me hastily what towns does we pass on our way Just one i said war smoke right on the arizona line Tell your folks to keep out of it. It's a hangout for every kind of a outlaw. I judge your boys ain't handy enough with weapons to mix in such company. We don't want no trouble, says he. I'll tell em. So we rolled along, and the journey was pretty uneventful, except for the usual mishaps, which generally happens to tenderfeet. But we progressed until we was within striking distance of the Arizona border, and there we hit a snag the rear wagon bogged in a creek we had to cross a few miles north of the line they'd been a head rise and the wagons churned the mud so the last one stuck fast it was getting on toward sundown and i told the others to go on and make camp a mile west of war smoke and me and the folks in the wagon would foller when we got it out but that warn't easy it was mired clean to the hubs and the mules was up to their bellies we pried and heaved and hauled and night was coming on and finally i said if i could get them cussed mules out of my way i might accomplish something so we unhitched em from the wagon but they was stuck too and i had to wade out beside em and lift em out of the mud one by one and towed em to the bank a mule is a helpless critter but then with them out of the way i laid hold of the tongue and hauled the wagon out of the creek in short order them kansas people sure did look surprised i dunno why time we'd scraped the mud off of the wagon and us and hitched up the mules again it was night so it was long after dark when we come up to the camp the rest of the train had made in the place i told em old man richardson come up to me lookin worried and he says mister elkins some of the boys went into that there town in spite of what i told em don't worry i says i'll go get em i clumb on cap'n kid without stoppin to eat supper and rode over to War Smoke and tied my hoss outside the only saloon they was there it was a small town and awfully hard lookin as I went into the saloon I seen the four Richardson boys, and they was surrounded by a gang of cutthroats and outlaws. They was a Mexican there too, a tall, slim cuss with a thin black mustache and gilt braid onto his jacket. So you think you saddle in Bowie Knife Canyon, eh? he says. And one of the boys said, Well, that's what we was aimin' to do i think not he said grinning like a cougar and i seen his hands steal to the ivory-handled guns at his hips you never heard of signor gonzales zamora no well he is a big hombre in this country and he has use for this canyon in his business start the fireworks whenever you're ready gomez muttered a white desperado we're back in your play the richardson boys didn't know what the deal was about but they seen they was up again real trouble and they turned pale and looked around like trapped critters seeing nothing but hostile faces and hands gripping guns who tell you you could settle this canyon asked gomez who bring you here somebody from kansas yes no no i said shouldering my way through the crowd my folks come from texas my granddaddy was at san jacinto you remember that his hands fell away from his guns and his brown hide turned ashy the rest of them renegades give back muttering look out boys it's Breckinridge elkins they all suddenly found they had business at the bar or playing cards or something and gomez found himself standing alone he licked his lips and looked sick but he tried to keep up his bluff you may be no like what i say about signor zamora says he but he's truth if i tell him gringoes come to bowie knife canyon he get very mad well suppose you go and tell him now i said and so as to give him a good start i picked him up and throwed him through the nearest winder he picked hisself up and staggered away streamin blood and mex profanity and them in the saloon maintained a kind of pallid silence i hitched my guns forward and said to the escaped convict which was tending bar i says you don't want me to pay for that winder do you oh no says he polishing away with his rag at a spittoon he must have thought was a beer mug oh no 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 we needed that winder busted for the ventilation then everybody's satisfied i suggested and all the hoss thieves and stagecoach bandits in the saloon give me a hearty agreement well, that's fine i says peace is what i aim to have if i have to lick every one in the joint to get it you boys get back to the camp they was glad to do so but i lingered at the bar and bought a drink for a train robber i'd knowed at chawed ear once, and i said just who is this cussed Zamora that Max was spielin' about? I don't know, says he. I never heard of him before. I wouldn't say you was lying, I said tolerantly. You're just sufferin' from loss of memory. Frequently, cases like that is cured, and their memory is restored by a severe shock or jolt like a lick onto the head. Now then, if I was to take my six-shooter butt and drive your head through that whiskey barrel with it, i bet it'd restore your memory right sudden hold on says he in a hurry i just remembered that zamora is the boss of a gang of mexicans which claims bowie knife canyon he deals in hosses you mean he steals hosses i says and he says i ain't arguin anyway the cabin is very convenient for his business and if you dump them immigrants in his front yard he'll be very much put out he sure will, I agreed, as quick as I can get my hands on to him. I finished my drink and strode to the door and turned suddenly with a gun in each hand. The nine or ten fellers which had drawed their guns aimin' to shoot me in the back as I went through the door, they dropped their weapons and throwed up their hands and yelled, Don't shoot! So I just shot the lights out and went out and got on to Cap'n Kidd whilst them idjits was hollerin' and fallin' over each other in the dark and rode out of war smoke casually shattering a few winder lights along the street as I went. When I got back to camp the boys had already got there, and the whole wagon train was holding their weapons and scared most to death. I'm mighty relieved to see you back safe, Mr. Elkins, says old man Richardson. We heard the shootin' and was afeard them bullies had killed you. Let's hitch up and pull out right now. Them tenderfoots is beyond my comprehension. They'd have all pulled out in the dark if I'd let them. And I believe most of them stayed awake all night, expecting to be butchered in their sleep. I didn't say nothing to them about Zamora. The boys hadn't understood what Gomez was talking about, and they weren't no use getting them worse scared than what they generally was. Well, we pulled out before daylight because I aimed to retch the canyon without another stop. We kept rolling and got there pretty late that night. It weren't really no canyon at all, but a whopping big valley, well-timbered, and mighty good water and grass. It was a perfect place for a settlement, as I pinted out, but Tenderfoot's is powerful peculiar. I happened to pick our campsite that night on the spot where the Apaches wiped out a mule train of Mexicans six years before, and it was too dark to see the bones scattered around till next morning. Old man Richardson was using what he thought was a round rock for a pillar, and when he woke up the next morning and found he'd been sleeping with his head onto a human skull, he liked a to throat to of fit. And when I wanted to stop for the noonday meal in that there grove where the settlers hanged them seven cattle rustlers three years before, them folks got the willies when they seen some of the ropes still sticking onto the limbs, and wouldn't on no account eat their dinner there. You got no idea what peculiar folks them immigrants is till you saw some. Well we stopped a few miles further on in another grove in the midst of a wide rolling country of plenty of trees and tall grass and I didn't tell them that was where them outlaws murdered the three Grissom boys in their sleep. Old man Richardson said it looked like as good a place as any to locate the settlement, but I told him we was going to look over the whole dern valley before we chose to spot kinda wilted and said at least for God's sake let em rest a few days. I never seen folks which tired out so easy, but I said all right and we camped there that night. I hadn't saw no signs of Zamora's gang since we come into the valley and thought likely they was all off stealing hosses somewhere. Not that it made any difference. Early next morning, Ned and Joe, the old man's boys, they wanted to go look for deer and i told them not to go more'n a mile from camp and be keerful and they said they would and sought out to the south i went back of the camp a mile or two to the creek where jim dornly ambushed tom harrigan four years before and taken me a swim I stayed longer than I intended to, it was such a relief to get away from them helpless tenderfoots for a while, and when I rode back into camp I seen Ned approaching with a stranger, a young white man which carried hisself with an air of great importance. Hey pap, hollered young Ned as we dismounted, where's mister Elkins? This feller says we can't stay in Bowie Knife Canyon. Who are you? I demanded, emerging from behind a wagon, and the stranger's eyes bugged out as he seen me. My name's George Warren, says he. A wagon train of us just came into the valley from the east yesterday. We're from Illinois, and by what right does you order people out of this canyon? I asked. We got the fightinest man in the world guidin' us, says he. I thought he was the biggest man in the world till I seen you but he ain't to be fooled with when he heard they was another train in the valley he sent me to tell you to git you better too if you got any sense we don't want no trouble quavered old man richardson you got a nerve i snorted and i pulled george warren's hat down so the brim came off and hung around his neck like a collar and turned him around and lifted him off the ground with a boot in the pants then throwed him bodily onto his hoss go back and tell your champion that bowie knife canyon belongs to us i roared slinging a few bullets around his hoss's feet and we gives him one hour to hitch up and clear out i'll get even for this wept george warren as he streaked it for his home range you'll be sorry you big polecat just wait till i tell mister i couldn't catch what else he said now i bet he's mad says old man richardson we better go after all shut up i roared this here valley's our'n and i intends to defend our rights to it to the last drop of your blood hitch them mules and swing the wagons in a circle pile your saddles and plunder betwixt the wheels i got a idee you all fights better behind breastworks did you see their camp ned No, says he, but George Warren says it lies about three miles east of iron. Me and Joe got separated, and I was swinging east round the south end of that ridge over there. When I met this George Warren, he said he was out looking for a hoss before sunup and seen our camp, and went back and told their guide, and he sent him over to tell us to get out. I'm worried about Joe, said old man Richardson. He ain't come back i'll go look for him i said i'll also scout their camp and if the odds ain't more'n ten to one we don't wait for them to attack we goes over and wipes them out pronto then we hangs their fool sculps on our wagon bows as a warnin to other such scoundrels old man richardson turned pale and his knees knocked together but i told him sternly to git to work swingin them wagons and clumb on to cap'n kid and lit out reason i hadn't saw the smoke of the illinois camp was on account of a thick timbered ridge which lay east of our camp i swung round the south end of that ridge and headed east and i'd gone maybe a mile and a half when i saw a man ridin' toward me when he seen me he come lickety-split and i could see the sun shining on his winchester barrel i cocked my forty-five ninety and rode toward him and we met in the middle of an open flat and suddenly we both lowered our whippins and pulled up breast to breast glaring at each other breckinridge elkins says he cousin bearfield buckner says i ere you the man which sent that unlicked cub of a george warren to bring me a defiance who else he snarled he always had a awful temper well i says this here is our valley you all got to move on what you mean move on he yelled i brung them poor critters all the way from dodge city kansas where i encountered em being tormented by some worthless buffalo hunters which is no longer in the land of the living i've led them through fire flood hostile engines and white renegades I promised to lead em into a land of milk and honey and i been firm with em even when they weakened their cells, even when they begged on bended knee to be allowed to go back to illinois i wouldn't hear of it because as i told them, i knowed what was best for them. i had this canyon in mind all the time and now you tells me to move on cousin bearfield rolled an eye and spit on his hand i just waited what sort of reply does you make to my request to go on and leave us in peace he goes on george warren come back to camp wearin his hat brim around his neck and standin up in the stirrups because he was too sore to settin the saddle so i set him fortifyin the camp whilst i went forth to reconnoiter that word i sent you i now repeats in person you're my blood kin but principles come first me too i said a nevada elkin's principles is as lofty as a texas buckner's any day i whooped you a year ago in cougarpaw that's a cussed lie gnashed he you taken a base advantage and land me with an oak log when i warn't expectin it be that as it may says i ignorin the fact that you had just beamed me with a rock the size of a water bucket the only way to settle this dispute is to fight it out like gents, but we've got to determine what weapons to use. The matter's too deep for fists. I'd prefer butcher knives in a dark room, says he. Only they ain't no room if we just had a couple of sawed off shotguns or good double-bitted axes. I tell you, Breck, let's tie our left hands together and work on each other with our buoys. Nah, I says, I got a better idea. We'll back our hosses together, then ride for the opposite sides of the flat. When we get there, we'll wheel and charge back, shooting at each other with our Winchesters. Time they're empty, we'll be close enough to use our pistols, and when we've emptied them, we'll be close enough to finish the fight with our buoys." Good idea, agreed Bearfield. You always was a brainy, cultured sort of lobo if you wasn't so damn stubborn. Now me, I'm reasonable. When I'm wrong, i admit it you ain't never admitted it so far says i i ain't never been wrong yet he roared and i'll carve the gizzard of the buzzard which says i am come on let's get going so we started to gallop to the opposite sides of the flat when i heard a voice hollering mr elkins mr elkins hold on i says that's joe richardson next minute joe come tearing out of the brush from the south on a mustang i hadn't never seen before with a mexican saddle and bridle on he didn't have no hat nor shirt and his back was crisscrossed with bloody streaks he likewise had a cut in his scalp which dribbled blood down his face mexicans he panted i got separated from ned and rode further'n i should ought to had about five miles down the canyon i run into a big gang of mexicans about thirty of em one was that fella gomez their leader was a big feller they called zamora they grabbed me and taken my hoss and wolfed me with their quirts zamora said they was going to wipe out every white man in the canyon he said his scouts had brung him news of our camp and another east of iron, and he aimed to destroy both of em at one sweep Then they all got onto their horses and headed north, except one man which I believe they left there to kill me before he followed them. He hit me with his six-shooter and knocked me down, then put up his gun and started to cut my throat with his knife. But I wasn't unconscious like he thought, so I grabbed his gun and knocked him down with it, and jumped on his hoss and lit out. As I made for camp, I heard you and this gent talking loud to each other and headed this way. Which camp was they going for first, I demanded. I don't know, he said. They talk mostly in Spanish. I can't understand. The duel will have to wait, I says. I'm headin' for our camp. And me for mine, says Bearfield. Listen, let's decide it this way. The one that scuppers the most greasers wins, and the other takes his crowd and pulls out. Bueno, I says, and headed for camp the trees was dense them bandits could have passed either to the west or the east of us without us seeing'. em i quickly left joe and about a quarter mile further on i heard a sudden burst of firing and screaming, and then silence a bit later i bust out of the trees into sight of the camp and i cussed earnestly instead of being drawed up in a circle with the men shootin from between the wheels and holdin them bandits off like i expected them derned wagons was strung out like they was headin back north the hosses was cut loose from some of them, and the mules was laying across the poles of others, shot full of lead. Women was screaming, and kids was squalling, and I seen young Jack Richardson laying face down in the ashes of the campfire with his head in a puddle of blood. Old man Richardson come limping toward me with tears running down his face. Mexicans, he blubbered, they hit us like a hurricane just a little while ago. They shot Jack down like he was a dog three or four of the other boys has got knife slashes or bullet marks or bruises from loaded quirt ends as they rolled off they yelled they'd come back and kill us all why didn't you throw them wagons round like i told you i roared we didn't want no fightin'. he bawled we decided to pull out of the valley and find some more peaceful place and now jack's dead and your stock scattered i raged just because you didn't want to fight what the hell you ever crossed the pecos for if you didn't aim to fight nobody set the boys together in such stock as you got left but them mexicans taken betty he shrieked tearing his scanty locks most of em headed east but six or seven grabbed betty right out of the wagon and rode off south with her driving the hosses they stole from us well get your weapons and follow me i roared for lord's sake forget they is places where sheriffs and policemen protect you and make up your minds to fight i'm going after betty i headed south as hard as cap'n kid could run the reason i hadn't met the mexicans as i rode back from the flat where i met cousin bearfield was because they swung around the north end of the ridge when they headed east i hadn't gone far when i heard a sudden burst of firing off to the east and figured they'd hit the illinois camp but i reckon bearfield had got there ahead of them. still it didn't seem like the shooting was far enough off to be at the other camp but i didn't have no time to study it them gal thieves had a big start but it didn't do no good. I hadn't rode over three miles till I heard the stolen hosses running ahead of me, and in a minute I bust out into an open flat and seen six Mexicans driving them critters at full speed, and one of them was holding Betty onto the saddle in front of him. It was that blasted Gomez. I come swooping down onto him with a six-shooter in my right hand and a bowie knife in my left. Cap'n Kidd needed no guidin' he'd smelt blood and fire and he come like a hurricane on judgment day with his mane flyin' and his hooves burnin' the grass the mexicans seen i'd ride em down before they could get across the flat and they turned to meet me shootin' as they come but mexicans always was rotten shots as we come together i let bam three times with my forty-five and three says i one of them rode at me from the side and clubbed his rifle and hit at my head but I ducked and made one swipe with my Bowie. Four, says I. Then the others turned and high-tailed it, letting the stolen hosses run where they wanted to. One of em headed south, and I was crowding Gomez so close, he whirled round and lit a shuck west. Keep back, or I kill the girl, he howled, lifting a knife. But I shot it out of his hand, and he gave a yowl and let go of her, and she fell off into the high grass. He kept fogging it. I pulled up to see if Betty was hurt, but she weren't, just scared. The grass cushioned her fall. I seen her pap and such of the boys as was able to ride was all coming at a high run, so I left her to them and taken in after Gomez again. Pretty soon he looked back and seen me overhauling him, so he reached for his Winchester, which he'd evidently just thought of using, when about that time his hoss stepped into a prairie dog hole and throwed him over his head. Gomez never twitched after he hit the ground. I turned around and rode back, cussing disgustedly because a elkins is ever truthful and i couldn't honestly count gomez in my record but i thought i'd scuttle that coyote that runs south so i headed in that direction i hadn't gone far when i heard a lot of hosses running somewhere ahead of me and to the east and then presently i bust out of the trees and come onto a flat which run to the mouth of a narrower gorge opening into the main canyon On the left wall of this gorge mouth they was a ledge about fifty foot up and they was a log cabin on that ledge with loopholes in the walls. The only way up onto the ledge was a log ladder and about twenty Mexicans was running their hosses toward it across the flat. Just as I reached the edge of the bushes they got to the foot of the wall and jumped off their hosses and run up that ladder like monkeys. Letting their hosses run anyways i seen a big feller with gold ornaments on his sombrero which i figured was zamora but before i could unlimber my winchester they was all in the cabin and slammed the door the next minute cousin bearfield busted out of the trees a few hundred yards east of where i was and started recklessly across the flat immediately all them mexicans started shooting at him and he grudgingly retired into the brush again with terrible language i yelled and rode toward him keepin to the trees how many you got he bellowed as soon as he seen me four i says and he grinned like a timber wolf and says i got five i was ridin for my camp when i heard the shootin behind me so i knowed it was your camp they hit first i turned round to go back and help you out when did i ever ask you for any help i bristled then he said but purty soon i seen a gang of mexicans comin round the north end of the ridge so i taken cover and shot five of them out of their saddles they must a knowed it was me because they hightailed it how could they know that you conceited jackass i snorted they run off because they probably thought a whole gang had ambushed em old man richardson and his boys had rode up whilst we was talkin and now he broke in with some heat and said that ain't the question the pint is we got em hemmed up on that ledge for the time bein and can get away before they come down and massacre us what you talkin about i roared they're the ones which is in need of gettin away if any massacrein is did around here we does it it's flyin in the face of providence he bleated But I told him sternly to shut up, and Bearfield says, send somebody over to my camp to bring my warriors. So I told Ned to go, and he pulled out. Then me and Bearfield studied the situation, setting our horses in the open whilst bullets from the cabin whistled all around us, and the Richardsons hid in the brash and begged us to be careful. That ledge is sheer on all sides, says Bearfield. Nobody couldn't climb down onto it from the cliff, and anybody trying to climb that ladder in the teeth of twenty Winchesters would be plumb crazy. But I says, look, Bearfield, how the ledge overhangs about ten foot to the left of that ladder, a man could stand at the foot of the bluff there and them coyotes couldn't see to shoot him. And, says Bearfield, he could sling his rope up over that spur of rock at the rim and they couldn't shoot it off. Only way to get to it would be to come out of the cabin and wretch down and cut it with a knife. Door opens toward the ladder and there ain't no door in the wall on that side. A man could climb right up onto the ledge before they knowed it. If they didn't shoot him through the loopholes as he come over the rim. You stay here and shoot him when they tries to cut the rope, I says. You go to hell, he roared. I see through your hellish plot. You aims to get up there and kill all them mexes before I has a chance at them. You thinks you'll out with me. By golly, I got my rights and... Ah, oh, shut up, I says disgustedly. We'll both go. I hollered to Old Man Richardson, "You all lay low in the brush and shoot at every mex which comes out of the cabin." What you goin' to do now? He hollered, "Don't be rash!" But me and Bearfield was already headin' for the ledge at a dead run. This move surprised the Mexicans because they knowed we couldn't figure to ride our hosses up that ladder. Being surprised, they shot wild, and all they done was graze my scalp and nick Bearfield's ear. Then just as they began to get their range and start trimming us close, we swerved aside and thundered in under the overhanging rock. We clumb off and tied our horses well apart, otherwise they started fighting each other. The Mexicans above us was yelling most amazing, but they couldn't even see us, much less shoot us. I whirled my lariat, which is plenty longer and stronger than the average lasso, and roped the spur of rock which jutted up just below the rim i'll go up first i says and bearfield showed his teeth and drawed his bowie knife you won't neither says he we'll cut cards high man wins so we squatted and old man richardson yelled from the trees for god's sake what are you doing now they're fixing to roll rocks down onto you you tend to your own business i advised him and shuffled the cards which bearfield hauled out of his breeches as it turned out the maxes had a supply of boulders in the cabin they just opened the door and rolled em toward the rim but they shot off the ledge and hit beyond us bearfield cut and yelped a ace you can't beat that i can equal it i says and drawed an ace of diamonds ah wins he clamored Hearts beats diamonds. That rule don't apply here, I says. It were a draw, and Why, you, says Bearfield, leaning forward to grab the deck, and just then a rock about the size of a bushel basket come bounding over the ledge and hit a projection, which turned its course. So instead of shooting over us, it fell straight down and hit Bearfield smack between the ears. It stunned him for an instant, and I jumped up and started climbing the rope, ignoring more rocks which was thundering down. I was about halfway up up when bearfield came to and he riz with a bell or a rage why you dirty double-crossin so-and-so says he and started throwing rocks at me they was a awful racket the mexicans howlin guns bangin bearfield cussin and old man richardson wailin they're crazy i tell you they're both crazy as mud hens i think everybody west of the pecos must be maniacs Bearfield grabbed the rope and started climbing up behind me, and about that time one of the Mexicans run to cut the rope. But for once my idiotic followers was on the job. He run into about seven bullets that hit him all to once, and fell down just above the spur where the loop was caught onto. So when I retched my arm over the rim to pull myself up, they couldn't see me on account of the body. But just as I was pulling myself up they let go of a boulder at random, and it bounded along and bounced over the dead Mexican and hit me right smack in the face it was about as big as a pumpkin i give a infuriated beller and swarmed up onto the ledge and it surprised em so that most of em missed me clean i only got one slug through the arm before they had time to shoot again, I made a jump to the wall and flattened myself between the loopholes and grabbed the rifle barrels they poked through the loopholes and bent em and ruined them Bearfield was coming up the rope right behind me, so I grabbed hold of the logs and tore that whole side of the wall out, and the roof fell in, and the other walls come apart. In a instant, all you could see was logs falling and rolling and Mexicans busting out into the open. Some got pinned by the fallen logs and some was shot by my embattled Kansans and Bearfield's Illinois warriors, which had just come up. And some fell off of the ledge and broke their fool necks. One of them run again me and tried to stab me, so I throwed him after them, which had already fell off the ledge and hollered, Five for me, Bearfield. Expletive deleted, says Bearfield, arriving onto to the scene with blood in his eye and his buoy in his hand. Seeing which, a big Mexican made for him with a butcher knife, which was poor judgment on his part, and in about the flick of a Mustang's tail, Bearfield had a sixth man to his credit now this made me mad i seen some of the mexicans was climbing down the ladder so i run after them and one turned around and missed me so close with a shotgun he burnt my eyebrows i taken it away from him and hit him over the head with it and yelled six for me too cousin bearfield look out he yelled zamora's getting away i seen zamora had tied a rope to the back side of the ledge and was sliding down it he dropped the last ten feet and run for a corral which was full of hosses back up the gorge behind the ledge we seen the other mexicans was all laid out or running off up the valley pursued by our immigrants so i went down the ladder and bearfield slid down my rope zamora's rope wouldn't a held our weight we grabbed our hosses and lit out up the gorge around a bend of which zamora was jest disappearing he had a fast hoss and a long start but ida overtook him within the first mile only cap'n kidd kept trying to stop and fight bearfield's hoss which was about as big and mean as he was after we'd run about five miles and come out of the gorge onto a high plateau, I got far enough ahead of Bearfield so Cap'n Kidd forgot about his hoss. Then he settled down the business and run Zamora's hoss right off his legs. They was a steep slope on one side of us and a 500-foot drop on the other. And Zamora seen his hoss was winded, so he jumped off and started up the slope on foot me and bearfield jumped off too and run after him each one of us got him by a leg as he was climbing up a ledge let go my prisoner roared bearfield he's my meat i snarled this makes me seven i wins you lie bellered bearfield jerking zamora away from me and hitting me over the head with him this made me so mad i grabbed zamora and throwed him in bearfield's face his spurs jabbed bearfield in the belly and my cousin give a maddened beller and fell on me fist and tush and in the battle which followed we forgot all about zamora till we heard a man scream he'd snuck away and tried to mount cap'n kid we stopped fighting and looked round just in time to see Cap'n Kidd kick him in the belly and knock him clean over the edge of the cliff. Well, says Bearfield disgustedly, that decides nothing, and our score is a draw. It was my hoss which done it, I said. It ought to count for me. Over my corpse it will, roared Bearfield. But look here, it's nearly night. Let's get back to the camps before my followers start cutting your kansans throats whatever fight is to be fought to decide who owns a canyon it's betwixt you and me not them all right i said if my kansas boys ain't already killed all your idgits we'll fight this out somewhere where we got better light and more room but i just expect to find your illinoisans writhing in their gore don't worry about them he snarled there was wild as painters when they smell gore. I only hope they ain't killed all your Kansas mavericks." So we pulled for the valley. When we got there it was dark, and as we rode out of the gorge, we seen fires going on the flat, and folks dancin' around them, and fiddles was going at a great rate. What the hell is this, Ballard Bearfield? and then old man richardson come up to us overflowing with good spirits glad to see you gents he says this is a great night jack weren't kilt after all just creased we come out of that great fight whole and sound but what you doin roared Bearfield. what's my people doing here oh says old man richardson we got together after you gents left and agreed the valley was big enough for both parties, so we decide to join together into one settlement and we're celebrating. Them Illinois people is fine folks. They're as peace loving as we are. Bloodthirsty painters, I sneers to cousin Bearfield. I ain't no bigger liar than you air, he says, more in sorrow than in anger. Come on. They ain't nothin' more we can do. We are swamped in a mess of pacifism. The race is degeneratin'. Let's head for Bear Creek. This atmosphere of brotherly love is more'n I can stand. We set our hosses there a minute and watched them pilgrims dance and listened to em singin'. I squint across at Cousin Bearfield's face and doggone if it didn't look almost human in the firelight. He hauls out his plug at the backer and offers me first chaw. Then we headed yonderly, riding stirrup to stirrup. Must have been ten miles before Captain Kidd retches over and bites Cousin Bearfield's hoss on the neck. Bearfield's hoss bites back, and by accident Captain Kidd kicks Cousin Bearfield on the ankle. He lets out a howl and thumps me over the head, and I hit him, and and then we gets our arms around each other and rollin' the bresh in a tangle. we fit for two hours, I reckon, and we'd been fightin' yet if we hadn't scrambled under Cap'n Kid's hoofs where he was feedin'. He kicked Cousin Bearfield one way and me the other. I got up after a while and went huntin' my hat. The bresh crackled and in the moonlight I could see Cousin Bearfield on his hands and knees. Where are ye, Cousin Breckenridge, says he. Are you all right? Well maybe my clothes was torn more than his was, and a lip split and a rib or two busted, but I could still see, which is more than he could say, with both of his eyes swole that way. Sure I'm all right, I says. How are you, cousin Bearfield? He let out a groan and tried to get up. He made her on the second heave and stood there swaying. Why I'm fine, he says. Well, I'm fine. I feel a whole lot better, Breck. I was afraid for a minute back there, whilst we was ridin' along, that that daggone brotherly love would turn out to be catchin'. End of Pilgrims to the Pecos. Pistol Politics by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pistol Politics by Robert Howard. Politics and book learning is bad enough took separate. Together they're a blight and a curse. Take Yeller Dog for a instance, a mining camp over in the Apache River country where I was rash enough to take up my abode in Onst. Yeller Dog was a decent camp, till politics reared its head in our midst and education come slitherin' after. The whiskey was good and middlin' cheap, and the poker and faro games was honest if you watched the dealers closed. Three or four piddlin' fights a night was the usual run, and a man hadn't been shot dead in more'n a week by my reckonin'. Then, like my Aunt Tascosa Polk would say, come the deluge. It all begun when Forty-Rod Harrigan moved his gamblin' outfit over to Alderville and left our one frame-buildin' vacant and Gooseneck Wilkerson got the idea of turning it into a city hall. Then he said we ought to have a mayor to go with it, and announced himself as candidate. Naturally, Bull Hawkins, our other leading citizen, come out again him. The election was sought for April 11. Gooseneck established his campaign headquarters in the Silver Saddle Saloon, and Bull taken up his'n in the red tomahawk on t'other side of the street. First thing we knowed, Yeller Dog was in the grip of politics. The campaign got under way, and the casualties was mounting daily, as public interest become more and more fatally aroused. And on the afternoon of the ninth, Gooseneck come into his headquarters and says, We got to make a sweeping offensive, boys. Bull Hawkins is out generalin' us. That shootin' match he put on for a prime beef steer yesterday made a big hit with a common herd. He's trying to convince Yeller Dog that if elected, he'd provide the camp with more high-class amusement than I could. Breck Elkins, will you pause in your guzzlin' and listen here a minute? As chief of this here political organization, I demand your attention. I hear you, I says. I was to the match and they barred me on a technicality, otherwise I would have won the whole steer. It weren't so exciting far as I could see. Only one man got shot. And he was one of my voters, scowled Gooseneck. But we got to outshine Bull's efforts to seduce the mob. He's resorting to low underhanded tactics by buyin' votes outright. I scorn such measures. Anyway, I've bought all I'm able to pay for. We got to put on a show which outdazzles his dern shooting match. A rodeo, maybe, suggested Mule McGrath. Or a good dogfight. Nah, nah, says Gooseneck. My show will be a symbol of progress and culture. We stages a spelling match tomorrow night in the city hall. Next morning when the polls opens the voters will still be so dazzled by the grandeur of our entertainment they'll elect me by a vast majority. How many men in this here camp can spell good enough to get into a spelling bee says I. I'm confident there's at least 35 men in this camp which can read and write, says Gooseneck. That's plenty, but we gotta find somebody to give out the words. It wouldn't look right for me. It'd be beneath my official dignity. Who's educated enough for the job? I am, says Jerry Brennan and Bill Garrison simultaneous. Then they showed their teeth at each other. They weren't friends, nohow. Can't but one get the job, asserted Gooseneck. I test your ability. Can either one of you spell Constantinople? K-O-N, begun Garrison, and Brennan burst into a loud and mocking guffaw and said something pointed about ignoramuses. You deleted expletive! says Garrison, bloodthirstily gentlemen squawked gooseneck and then ducked as they both went for their guns they cleared leather about the same time when the smoke oozed away gooseneck crawled out from under the groulette table and cussed fervently two more reliable voters gone to glory he raged breckinridge why didn't you stop em twar'n't none of my business says i reaching for another drink "'cause a stray bullet had knocked my glass out of my hand. "'Hey,' I addressed the barkeep sternly, "'I see you fixin' to chalk up that there spilt drink agin' me. "'Charge it to Jerry Brennan. "'He spilt it. "'Dead men pays no bills,' complained the bartender. Sees them petty squabbles,' snarled Gooseneck. "'You argies over a glass of liquor when I've just lost two good votes. "'Drag em out, boys.' He ordered the other members of the organization, which was emerging from behind the bar and the whiskey barrels, where they took refuge when the shooting started. Damn, says Gooseneck with bitterness, this here is a deadly lick to my campaign. I not only loses two more votes, but them was the best educated men in camp outside of me. Now who we gonna get to conduct the spelling match? anybody which can read can do it says lobo harrison a hoss thief with a mean face and an ingrown disposition he'd go a mile out of his way just to kick a dog even elkins there could do it yeah if they was anything to read from snorted gooseneck but they ain't a line of writin in camp except on whiskey bottles we got to have a man with a lot of long words in his head Breckenridge, damn it, just cause I told the barkeep to charge your drinks on the campaign expenses ain't no reason for you to freeze onto that bar permanent. Ride over to Alderville and get us an educated man. Hell, he know whether he's educated or not, sneered Lobo, which seemed to dislike me passionately, for some reason or another. Make him spell Constantinople, says Gooseneck. He can't go over there says Soapy Jackson. The folks has threatened to lynch him for crippling their sheriff. I didn't cripple their fool sheriff, I says indignantly. He crippled hisself, fallin' through a wagon wheel when I give him a kinda of push with a rock. How you spell that there Constance hopeful word? Well, he spelled it thirty or forty times till I had it memorized. So I rode over to Alderville. When I rode into town, the folks looked at me coldly and bunched up and whispered amongst theirselves, but I paid no attention to them. I never seen the deputy sheriff, unless that was him I seen climbing a white oak tree as I hove in sight. I went into the White Eagle saloon and drank me a dram and says to the barkeep, Who's the best educated man in Alderville? Says he, Snake River Murgatroyd which deals monty over to the elite amusement palace so i went over there and just as i went through the door i happened to remember that snake river had swore he was going to shoot me on sight next time he seen me on account of some trouble we'd had over a card game but such things is too trivial to bother about i went up to where he was setting dealin monty and i says hey place your bet says he then he looked up and said you expletive deleted and retched for his gun but i got mine out first and shoved the muzzle under his nose bell constantinople i tells him he turned pale and said are you crazy Bellot, i roared and he says c o n s t a n t i n o p l e what the hell good i said throwing his gun in the corner out of temptation's way we want you to come over to Yeller Dog and give out words at a spellin' match. Everybody in the place was holding their breath. Snake River moved his hands nervous like and knocked a jack of diamonds off onto the floor. He stooped like he was going to pick it up, but instead he jerked a buoy out of his boot and tried to stab me in the belly. Well, much as I would have enjoyed shooting him, I noted Spile the spellin' match so merely taking the knife away from him and held him upside down to shake out whatever other weapons he might have hid and he began to holler help murder elkins is killin' me it's a yeller dog plot somebody howled and the next instant the air was full of beer mugs and cuspidors some of them spittoons was quite heavy and when one missed me and went bong on snake rivers head he curled up like a angleworm which has been tromped on. Look at there, they hollered, like it was my fault. He's trying to kill Snake River. Get him, boys. They then fell on me with billiard sticks and chair legs in a way which has made me suspicious of Alderville's hospitality ever since. Argument being useless, I tucked Snake River under my left arm and started knocking them fool critters right and left with my right fist and i reckon that was how the bar got wrecked i never seen a bar a man's head would go through easier than that so pretty soon the survivors abandoned the fray and run out of the door hollering help Murder! rise up citizens yeller dog is at our throats rise and defend your homes and loved ones you would have thought the Apaches was burning the town the way folks was hollering and runnin' for their guns and shootin' at me as I clumb aboard Captain Kidd and headed for Yeller Dog. I left the main road and headed through the bresh for an old trail I knowed about cause I seen a whole army of men getting on their hosses to lick out after me and while I knowed they couldn't catch Captain Kidd I was afeard they might hit Snake River with a stray bullet if they got within range. The bresh was pretty thick and I reckon it was the branches slapping him in the face which brung him to, because all to once he begun hollerin' blue murder. "'You ain't taking me to Yeller Dog,' he yelled. "'You're taking me out in the hills to murder me. Help! Help!' "'Ah, shut up,' I snorted. "'This here's a shortcut. "'You can't get across Apache River unless you follow the road to the bridge,' says he. "'I can too,' I says. "'We'll go across on the footbridge.' With that, he gave a scream of horror and a convulsive wrench, which tore his self clean out of his shirt which I was holding on to. Next thing I knowed, all I had in my hand was a empty shirt, and he was on the ground and scuttling through the bushes. I'd taken in after him, but he was pretty tricky dodging around stumps and trees, and I begun to believe I was going to have to shoot him in the hind leg to catch him when he made the mistake of trying to climb a tree i rode up onto him before he could get out a wrench, and retched up and got him by the leg and pulled him down and his language was painful to hear it was his own fault he slipped out of my hand he kicked so violent i didn't go to drop him on his head but jest as i was retching down for him i heard hosses running and looked up and here come that durned Alderville posse busting through the brush right on to me. I'd lost so much time chasing Snake River they'd catched up with me. So I scooped him up and hung him over my saddle horn, because he was out cold, and headed for Apache River. Captain Kidd drawed away from them hosses like they was hobbled, so they weren't scarcely in pistol range of us when we busted out on the east bank. The river was up, just a foamin' and a bilin', and the footbridge warn't nothin' only just a log. But Captain Kidd's sure footed as a billy goat. We started across it, and everything went all right till we got about the middle of it, and then Snake River come to and seen the water booming along under us. He lost his head and began to struggle and kick and holler, and his spurs scratched Captain Kidd's hide. That made Cap'n Kidd mad and he turned his head and tried to bite my leg cause he always blames me for everything that happens and he lost his balance and fell off. That would have been alright too because as we hit the water I got hold of Cap'n Kidd's tail with one hand and Snake River's undershirt with the other and Cap'n Kidd hit out for the West Bank. These very few streams he can't swim, flood or not. But just as we was nearly across, the posse appeared on the hind bank and started shooting at me. And they was apparently in some doubt as to which head in the water was me, because some of em shot at Snake River too, just to make sure. He opened his mouth to holler at em and got it full of water and darn near strangled. Then all to onst, somebody in the brush on the west shore opened up with a Winchester and one of the posse hollered look out boys it's a trap Elkins has led us into a ambush they turned round and high-tailed it for Alderville well what with the shooting and a gullet full of water Snake River was having a regular fit and he kicked and thrashed so he kicked himself clean out of his undershirt and just as my feet hit bottom he slipped out of my grip and went whirling off downstream I jumped out on land, ignoring the hearty kick Cap'n Kid planted in my midriff, and grabbed my lariat off my saddle. Gooseneck Wilkerson come prancing out of the brash, waving a Winchester and yelling, DON'T LET HIM DROWN, yer MY WHOLE CAMPAIGN DEPENDS ON THAT SPELLING BEE. DO SOMETHING. I run along the bank and made a throw, and looped Snake River round the ears. It war'n't a very good catch, but the best I could do under the circumstances. And skin'll always grow back onto a man's ears. I hauled him out of the river and it was plumb ungrateful for him to accuse me later of dragging him over them sharp rocks on purpose. I like to know how he figured I could rope him out of Apache river without skinning him up a little. He'd swallowed so much water he was nigh at his last gasp. Gooseneck rolled him onto his belly and jumped up and down on his back with both feet to get the water out. Gooseneck said that was artificial respiration, but from the way Snake River hollered, I don't believe it done him much good. Anyway, he choked up several gallons of water. When he was able to threaten our lives betwixt cuss words, Gooseneck says, Get him on your hoss and let's get started. Mine run off when the shootin' started. I just suspected you'd be pursued by them dumbwits and would take the shortcut. That's why I come to meet you. Come on, we gotta get Snake River some medical attention. In his present state, he ain't in no shape to conduct no spellin' match. Snake River was too groggy to set in the saddle so he hung him across it like a cowhide over a fence and started out me leadin' Captain Kidd. It makes Captain Kidd very mad to have anybody but me on his back. So we hadn't went more than a mile when he retched around and sawed his teeth in the seat of Snake River's pants. Snake River'd been groaning very weak and dismal and commandin' us to stop and let him down so's he could utter his last words. But when Captain Kidd bit him, he let out a remarkable strong yell and bust into language unfit for a dying man expletive deleted Quoth he passionately why have i got to be butchered for a yeller dog holiday we was reasoning with him when old man jake hanson hove out of the bushes old jake had a cabin a hundred yards back from the trail he was about the width of a barn door and his whiskers was marvelous to behold What's this ungodly noise about he demanded, who's getting murdered? I am says snake River fiercely, I'm bein sacrificed to the passions of the brutal mob. You shut up, said gooseneck severely, Jake, this is the gent we've consented to let conduct the spellin match. Well, well says Jake, interested, a educated man, hey, why he don't look no different from us folks if the blood were wiped off of him. Say listen boys, bring him over to my cabin. I'll dress his wounds and feed him and take care of him and get him to the city hall tomorrow night in time for the spelling match. In the meantime he can teach my daughter Salome her letters. I refuse to tutor a dirty faced cub began Snake River when he seen a face peeking eagerly at us from the trees. Who's that? he demanded. My daughter Salome, said old Jake. Nineteen her last birthday, and can't neither read nor write. None of my folks ever could, far back as family history goes, but I wants her to get some education. It's a human obligation says snake river i'll do it so we left him at jake's cabin propped up on a bunk with salome feeding him spoon vittles and whiskey and me and gooseneck headed for yeller dog which warn't hardly a mile from there gooseneck says to me we won't say nothing about snake river being at jake's shack bull hawkins is sweet on salome and he's so dern jealous minded It makes him mad for another man to even stop there to say hello to the folks. We don't want nothing to interfere with our show. You act like you got a lot of confidence in it, I says. I banks on it heavy, says he. It's a symbol of civilization. Well, just as we come into town, we met Mule McGrath with fire in his eye and corn juice on his breath. Gooseneck, listen says he. I just got wind of a plot of Hawkins and Jack Clanton to get a lot of our voters so drunk election day they won't be able to get to the polls. Let's call off the spelling match and go over the red tomahawk and clean out that rat nest. Nah, says Gooseneck. We promised the mob a show and we keeps our word. Don't worry, I'll think of a way to circumvent the heathen mule headed back for the silver saddle shaking his head and gooseneck sat down on the edge of a hoss trough and thunked deeply i'd begun to think he'd dropped off to sleep when he riz up and said breck git hold of soapy jackson and tell him to sneak out of camp and stay hid till the mornin of the eleventh then he's to ride in jest before the poles open and spread the news that they has been a big gold strike over in Wild Ross Gulch. A lot of fellers will stampede for there without waitin' to vote. Meanwhile, you'll have circulated amongst the men you know are gonna vote for me, and let know we are gonna work this campaign strategy. With all my men in camp, and most of bulls heading for Wild Ross Gulch, right and justice triumphs, and I win. So I went and found Soapy and told him what Gooseneck said. And on the strength of it, he immediately headed for the silver saddle and began guzzling on campaign credit. I felt it was my duty to go along with him and see he didn't get so full he forgot what he was supposed to do. And we was putting down the sixth dram apiece when in come Jack MacDonald, Jim Leary and Tarantula Allison all hawkins men soapy focused his wandering eyes on em and says uh, who's this here cluttering up the scenery why don't you mavericks stay over to the red tomahawk where you belong it's a free country asserted jack MacDonald. what about this here derned spellin match goosenecks bragging about all over town. Well, what about it, I demanded, hitching my harness forward. The political foe don't live, which can beard a Elkins in his lair. We demands to know who conducts it, stated Leary. At least half the men in camp eligible to compete is in our crowd. We demands fair play. We're bringing in a cultured gent from another town. I says coldly. Who? demanded Allison. None of your dang business, trumpeted Soapy, which gets delusions of valor when he's full of liquor. As a champion of progress and civic pride, I challenges the skunk-odored forces of corrupt politics and BAM! McDonald swung with a billiard ball and Soapy kissed the sawdust. Now look what you done, I says peevishly. If you coyotes can't act like gents, you'll oblige me by gettin' the hell out of here. If you don't like our company, suppose you tries to put us out, they challenged. So when I have finished my drink. I'd taken their weapons away from them and throwed them head first out the side door. How was I to know somebody had just put up a new cast iron hitching rack out there? Their friends carried them over to the red tomahawk to sew up their sculpts, and I went back into the silver saddle to see if Soapy had come to yet. Just as I retched the door, he come weaving out, muttering in his whiskers, and waving his six-shooter. Do you remember what all I told you? I demanded. Some of it, he goggled with his glassy eyes wobbling in all directions. Well get going then, I urged and helped him up onto his hoss. He left town at full speed with both feet out of the stirrups and both arms around the hoss's neck. Drink is a curse and a delusion. I told the barkeep in disgust. Look at that sickenin' example and take warning. Give me a bottle of rye. Well Gooseneck done a good job of advertising the show. By the middle of the next afternoon men was pouring into town from claims all up and down the creek. Half an hour before the match was sought to begin the hall was full. The benches was moved back from the front part leaving a space clear all the way across the hall. There had been a lot of argument about who was to compete and who was to choose sides, but when it was finally settled, as satisfactory as anything ever was settled in Yeller Dog, they was twenty men to compete and Lobo Harrison and Jack Clanton was to choose up. By a peculiar coincidence. Half of that twenty men was goosenecks, and half was bulls. So naturally Lobo chose his pals, and Clanton chose his'n. I don't like this, Gooseneck whispered to me, I'd rather they'd been mixed up. This is beginning to look like a contest between my gang and bulls. If they win, it's gonna make me look cheap. Where the hell is Snake River? I ain't seen him, I said. You ought to have made em take off their guns. Shucks, says he. What could possibly stir up trouble at such a ladylike affair as a bee? Dang it, where is Snake River? Old Jake said he'd get him here on time. Hey, Gooseneck, yelled Bull Hawkins from where he sought amongst his cohorts. Why don't you start the show? Bull was a big, broad-shouldered hombre with black mustaches like a walrus. The crowd began to holler and cuss and stomp their feet, and this pleased Bull very much. Keep em amused, hissed Gooseneck. I'll go look for Snake River. He snuck out a side door and I riz up and addressed the throng. Gents, I said, be patient. They is a slight delay but it won't be long. Meantime, I'll be glad to entertain you all to the best of my ability. Would you like to hear me sing Barbary Allen? No, by grab, they answered in one beller. Why, you're going to, I roared, infuriated by this callous lack of the finer feelings. I will now sing, I says, drawing my 45s, and I blows the brains out of the first coyote which tries to interrupt me." I then sung my song without interference, and when I was through I bowed and waited for the applause, but all I heard was Lobo Harrison saying, "'Imagine what the poor wolves on Bear Creek has to put up with.' This cut me to the quick, but before I could make a suitable reply, Gooseneck slid in, breathing heavy. I can't find Snake River, he hissed, but the barkeep give me a book he found somewheres. Most of the leaves is tore out, but there's plenty left. I've marked some of the longest words, Breck. You can read good enough to give them out. You got to. If we don't start the show right away, this mob will wreck the place. You're the only man not in the match which can even read a little outside of me and bull it wouldn't look right for me to do it and i sure ain't gonna let bull run my show i knew i was licked ah well all right i said i might a knew i'd be the goat give me the book here it is he said the adventures of a french countess be durned sure you don't give out no words except them i marked hey bawled jack clanton we're getting tired standing up here open the ball all right i says we commences hey says bill nobody told us elkins was going to conduct the ceremony we was told a cultured gent from out of town was to do it well i says irritably bear creek is my home range and i reckon i'm as cultured as any snake hunter here If anybody thinks he's better qualified than me, step up whilst I stomp his ears off. Nobody volunteered. So I says, all right, I tosses a dollar to see who gets the first word. It fell for Harrison's gang, so I looked in the book at the first word marked and it was a gal's name, Catherine, I says. Nobody said nothing. Catherine, I roared, glaring at Lobo Harrison. What you looking at me for, he demanded. I don't know no gal by that name. Expletive deleted, I says with passion. That's the word I give out. Spell it, damn it. Oh, says he. All right. K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-N. That's wrong, I says. What you mean wrong, he roared. That's right. Tain't accordin' to the book, I says. Dang the book, says he. I know my rights and I ain't to be euchred by no ignorant grizzly from Bear Creek. Who you call an ignorant, I demanded, stung. Set down, you spelled it wrong. You lie, he howled and went for his gun, but I fired first. When the smoke cleared away, I seen everybody was on their feet preparing for to stampede such as weren't trying to crawl under the benches. So I said, set down everybody, there ain't nothing to get excited about. The spellin' match continues and I'll shoot the first scoundrel which tries to leave the hall before the entertainment's over. Gooseneck hissed fiercely at me. Damn it, be careful who you shoot, can't you? That was another one of my voters. Drag him out, I commanded, wiping off some blood where a slug had notched my ear. The spell match is ready to commence again. There was a kind of tension in the air, men shuffling their feet and twisting their mustaches and hitching their gun belts. But I give no heed. I now approach the other side, with my hand on my pistol, and says to Clanton, Can you spell Catherine? C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, says he, Right, by golly, I says, consulting the French Countess, and the audience cheered wildly and shot off their pistols into the roof. Hey, says Bill Stark on the other side, that's wrong. Make him sit down. It spells with a K. He spelt it just like it is in the book, I says. Look for yourself. I don't give a damn, he yelled, rudely knocking the French countess out of my hand. It's a misprint. It spells with a K or there'll be more blood on the floor. He spelt it wrong and if he don't sit down, I shoots him down. I'm running this show i bellered beginning to get mad you gotta shoot me before you shoots anybody else with pleasure snarled he and went for his gun well i hit him on the jaw with my fist and he went to sleep amongst a wreckage of busted benches gooseneck jumped up with a maddened shriek dang your soul breckinridge he squalled quit cancelin' my votes who are you working for me or hawkins ho 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 bellered hawkins go on with the show this is the funniest thing i ever seen wham the door crashed open and in pranced old jake hanson waving a shotgun welcome to the festivities jake i greeted him where's you son of a skunk quoth he and let go at me with both barrels the shot scattered remarkable. I didn't get more than five or six of them, and the rest distributed freely amongst the crowd. You ought to have heard them holler. The folks, I mean, not the buckshot. What in tarnation are you doin'? shrieked Gooseneck. Where's Snake River? Gone, howled old Jake. Run off! Eloped with my daughter. Bull Hawkins riz with a howl of anguish convulsively clutching his whiskers salome he bellered eloped with a cussed gambolier they brung over from alderville bleated old jake doing a war dance in his passion elkins and wilkerson persuaded me to take that snake into my bosom in spite of my pleas and protests they forced him into my peaceful expletive deleted household and he stole the poor, mutton-headed, innocent-blasted art with his cultured airs and his slick talk. They've run off to get married. It's a political plot, shrieked Hawkins, going for his gun. Wilkerson done it a purpose. I shot the gun out of his hand, but Jack Clanton crashed a bench down on Gooseneck's head, and Gooseneck kissed the floor. Clanton come down on top of him out cold, as Mule McGrath swung with a pistol butt, and the next instant somebody lambed Mule with a brick bat, and he flopped down against Clanton, and then the fight was on. Them rival political factions just kinda riz up and rolled together in a wave of profanity, gun smoke, and splintering benches. I have always noticed that the best thing to do in such cases is to keep your temper, and that's what I did for some time, in spite of the efforts of nine or ten wild-eyed hawkinites, I didn't even shoot one of them. I kept my head and battered their skulls with a joist I tore out of the floor. And when I knocked them down, I didn't stomp on them hardly any. But they kept coming and Jack Macdonald was obsessed with the notion that he could ride me to the floor by jumping up a straddle of my neck. So he done it, and having discovered his idea was a hallucination, he got a fistful of my hair with his left and started beating me in the head with his pistol barrel. It was very annoying. Simultaneous, several other misfits got hold of my legs, trying to rassle me down and some son of Belial stomped severely on my toe. I had bore my afflictions as patient as Job up to that time, but this perfidy maddened me. I give a roar which loosened the shingles on the roof and kicked the toe stomper in the belly with such fury that he curled up on the floor with a holler groan and taken no more interest in the proceedings. I likewise busted my timber on somebody's skull and retched up and pulled Jack Macdonald off my neck like pulling a tick off a bull's hide and hev him through a convenient winder. He's a liar when he says I aimed him deliberate at that rain barrel. I didn't even know they was a rain barrel till I heard his head crash through the staves. I then shook nine or ten idjits loose from my shoulders and shook the blood out of my eyes, and perceived that Gooseneck's men was getting the worst of it, particularly including Gooseneck himself. So I give another roar and prepared to wade through them fool Hawkinites like a bar through a pack of hound dogs, when I discovered that some perfidious sidewinder had got my spur tangled in his whiskers. I stooped to untangle myself just as a charge of buckshot ripped through the air where my head had been a instant before. Three or four critters was rushing me with bowie knives, so I give a wrench and tore loose by main force. How could I help it if most of the whiskers come loose too? I grabbed me a bench to use for a club. And I mowed the whole first rank down with one swipe. And then as I drawed back for another lick, I heard somebody yelling above the melee. Gold! he shrieked. Everybody stopped like they was froze in their tracks. Even Bull Hawkins shook the blood out of his eyes and glared up from where he was kneeling on Gooseneck's wishbone with one hand in Gooseneck's hair and a buoy in the othern. Everybody quit fighting everybody else and looked at the door, and there was Soapy Jackson, a reelin' and a weavin' with a empty bottle in one hand, and hollerin' Big gold strike in wild hoss gulch, he blats, biggest the west ever seen, nuggets the size of ostrich eggs. Oops. He disappeared in a wave of frenzied humanity, as Yeller Dog's population abandoned the fray and headed for the wide open spaces. Even Hawkins ceased his efforts to sculpt Gooseneck alive and joined the stampede. They tore the whole front out of the city hall in their flight, and even them which had been knocked stiff, come to at the howl of gold and staggered wildly after the mob shrieking pitifully for their picks, shovels, and jackasses when the dust had settled and the thunder of boot heels had faded in the distance. The only human left in the city hall was me and Gooseneck and Soapy Jackson, which riz unsteadily with the Prince of hobnails all over his homely face. They sure trampled him free and generous in their rush. Gooseneck's staggered up, glared wildly about him, and went into convulsions. At first he couldn't talk at all, he just frothed at the mouth. When he found speech his language was shocking. What you spring it this time of night for? he howled. Breckenridge, I said to tell him to bring the news in the morning, not tonight. I did tell him that, I says. Oh, so that was what I couldn't remember, says Soapy. That lick MacDonald give me so plum addled my brains. I knowed there was something I forgot, but couldn't remember what it was. Oh, so lo mio, gibbered Gooseneck, or words to that effect. Well, what you kicking about, I demanded peevishly, having just discovered that somebody'd stabbed me in the hind leg during the melee. My boot was full of blood, and they was brand new boots. It worked, didn't it? I says. They're all headed for Wild Hoss Gulch, including Hawkins hisself, and they can't possibly get back a four day after tomorrow. Yeah, raved Gooseneck. They're all gone, including my gang. The damn camp's empty. How can I get elected with nobody here to hold the election and nobody to vote? Oh, I says, that's right. I hadn't thunk of that. He fixed me with an awful eye. Did you, says he in a blood-curdling voice, did you tell my voters Soapy was going to enact a political strategy? By golly, I said. You know, it plumb slipped my mind. Ain't that a joke on me? Get out of my life, says Gooseneck, drawing his gun. That was a genteel way for him to act, trying to shoot me after all I'd done for him. I'd taken his gun away from him as gentle as I knowed how, and it was his own fault he got his arm broke. But to hear him rave, you would have thought he considered I was to blame for his misfortunes or something. I was so dern disgusted. I clumb on to Cap'n Kid and shaken the dust of that there camp off of my boots. Because I seen they was no gratitude in Yeller Dog. I likewise seen I wasn't cut out for the skullduggery of politics. I had me a notion one time that I'd make a sheriff. But I learnt my lesson. It's like my pap says, I reckon. All the law a man needs, says he, is a gun tucked into his pants. And the main learning he needs is to know which end of that gun the bullet comes out of. What's good enough for pap, gents, is good enough for me. End of Pistol Politics